Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Well, for the month of December, we spent some time in the book of Hebrews. We looked at how Jesus is greater, greater than anything God had ever done in the past. In fact, there is nothing greater that God could do for us in the future other than what he has already done for us through Jesus Christ. That is why we celebrate Christmas, because God is so good to us by giving us his son and all the good things he's done for us through him. Well, today we are leaving the book of Hebrews and we're leaving Christmas behind and we're returning to the the Gospel of Mark that we were studying uh, before the month of December. So I'd like to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, verse 46. That's where we'll be picking up. I don't care if you're using a paper Bible or an electronic Bible. Either of those is fine. While you're turning there, let me take just a few moments to reorientate us to the Gospel of Mark. If you were with us in the beginning of our study of that gospel, you learned that the gospel of Mark breaks into two major sections. There is chapters 1 through 10, which is all about Jesus revealing himself to us as the king, the king of the entire universe. And then there is chapters 11 through 16, which is about Jesus going to the cross. He revealed himself as the king of the entire universe in those first 10 chapters. We saw that through his teaching. He he taught with authority. We saw that through his miracles. Only Jesus could be on the Sea of Galilee in the midst of a raging storm with waves that were crashing over the side of the boat and with just a word, say, peace, be still. And the text tells us that the wind went dead quiet The waves went completely flat in an instant because creation responds to its creator's words. We also saw that through Jesus' miracles of healing. Uh, Jesus took lepers. and We learned that lepers are people who have had their fingers rotted off, their ears, their, their nose rotted off, their skin turned rough like callous sandpaper. And Jesus healed them with just a touch and a word. And their limbs regrew. Their skin turned soft and smooth in just an instant because Jesus is the king, the king of the universe. One of the most amazing miracles we looked at in the first half of this gospel was when Jesus healed a man who was deaf and mute. Not only did Jesus uh, unstop his ears so for the first time that man could hear, and loosen his lips so the first time he could speak with his mouth. But the Bible tells us he planted language into his brain at that time. He could completely comprehend language he had never heard. The Bible says he could flawlessly speak with perfect fluency language he had never spoken. The only kind of person who can do that is God, the very king of the universe. And that's what we've been seeing in the first 10 chapters. In the beginning in chapters 11 through 16, we see that we move from Jesus revealing himself for who he is to the great work that Jesus came to do, to go die on the cross, as I often say, in our place for our sins, to conquer Satan, sin, and death. This is why we've called our study in this book uh, The King and the Cross, the two halves of the book. Now, you may wonder, where are we at in our our journey through this book? Uh, 
Today, as we return from Christmas and get back into Mark, we are literally right on the seam between these two halves of the book. Today, we are looking at Jesus' final miracle in the first half of this gospel. Next week, we begin chapter 11, which is the triumphal entry, which begins the second half of the gospel and about Jesus going to the cross to die for us. So by now, you should have found uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 46. Uh, Please stand out of reverence for God's word as we read 46 through 52. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, Let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. That ends the reading of the word of God. You can be seated. Now, if you were with us back in the month of November when we were last in the Gospel of Mark, you may remember a little bit of the story that happened just prior to this one. In that story, James and John actually brought their mother with them uh, to Jesus. And they asked Jesus secretly, uh, apart from the other disciples, that when you come into your kingdom, uh, we want the positions that are on your left and on your right. Please promise us and give us the two highest positions in your kingdom. Now, that was sort of silly. Because they viewed that when Jesus was going into Jerusalem, that what would happen is that Jesus was going to inaugurate an earthly kingdom, that he was going to overthrow the Romans. And they wanted to make sure that they were in positions number one and number two in that earthly kingdom. But as we've seen through our studies in the Gospel of Mark, in this Gospel, Jesus has already three times told them that he's not going into Jerusalem to set up an earthly kingdom. He was going into Jerusalem to die and then to rise from the dead. But like stubborn children, they refused to listen. They refused to absorb that. Like bratty children, they went around the other apostles and came behind their back and tried to manipulate Jesus into giving him them what they thought was the two highest positions in the kingdom. Now, interestingly, when they went to Jesus at that time and they approached Jesus, Jesus said to them, what do you want me to do for you? That's a key phrase there. And in essence, they said, Jesus, what we want you to do for us is to make us rich, make us famous, and make us powerful. That's essentially what they wanted. Give us the number one and number two positions in the kingdom. 
And Jesus didn't say yes. He didn't give it to them. But notice here, as we go to the next story in Bartimaeus, and when Bartimaeus comes to Jesus, we find those exact same words on Jesus' lips. He says to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus has a very different attitude. It's not make me rich, make me powerful, and make me important. It's Jesus. I am desperate for mercy. And Bartimaeus gets it. You see, these are called the two what do you want me to do for you stories. And I think Mark actually puts them together right next to one another uh, for a good reason. To show us something. In the first story, what James and John want Jesus to do for them is to make them rich and powerful and famous. Men, they don't get it. But what Bartimaeus wants Jesus to do for him is just to give him mercy. Mercy he doesn't deserve. And yet, Jesus does respond favorably to that. I think there's a little lesson in the juxtaposition of these two stories right there for you and I. When we approach Jesus, oftentimes we ask Jesus, Jesus, I'd like to be more comfortable. I'd like to be richer. I'd like to be better off than I actually am. And oftentimes Jesus doesn't respond favorably. But when we come to him, begging him for mercy, that is oftentimes when he answers our prayers. Now, a couple other things about what we're going to study this morning. This is actually the last of Jesus' miracles in this gospel. Um, There won't be any more miracles going forward from here on out, outside, of course, the one great miracle at the end where Jesus rises from the dead. And that's obviously the biggest one. But from here on on, there's really not any more miracles. There is the cursing of the fig tree, but we don't really want to call that one a miracle. It's certainly not positive. There's also no more conversion stories from here on out in this gospel, except once again when you get to the very end of this gospel where you find the thief on the cross next to Jesus comes to Christ and the centurion who is crucifying Jesus sort of comes to Christ. This is also the last major city that Jesus passes through, we'll find. We know that Jesus has been on his way to Jerusalem. Today we will see he passes through the city of Jericho that is on the way to Jerusalem. And while uh, the Gospel of Mark only tells us that there is one salvation story and healing story that takes place there, which is the blind Bartimaeus, which we just read, To tell you an actual truth, there are actually two salvation stories that take place in Jericho as Jesus is going to Jerusalem for the final time. The other salvation story is Zacchaeus. We read about that in Luke chapter, um, I believe that's 19. So we're going to see that as we go through uh, Bartimaeus' story and we study it, it's going to be helpful for us to look at Zacchaeus' story because this is taking place at the same time. So they actually help inform one another to give us a better idea of what is going on. This story of uh, blind Bartimaeus receiving his sight is actually not just found in Mark's gospel. It's also found in Matthew's gospel, chapter 18. And it, or excuse me, it's in Luke's gospel, chapter 18. Plus it is also found in the gospel of Matthew, chapter 20. Now, uh, this simple short story, is, we're going to break it apart into two sections. The first section we're going to study is Bartimaeus, who is desperate for mercy. 
The second section we're going to study is Jesus, who is a gracious Savior, who, is, who loves to give mercy. So let's begin here. Bartimaeus was a blind man desperate for mercy. We find that in the very first verse of that section. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Let me begin with a little bit of historical background to help inform you on that. Uh, last time we left off with Jesus, he was actually in the area of Perea. Jeremy, could you put that up? Uh, Perea is on the bottom right-hand side. I circled it in red. That's where the area where um, John the Baptist had his ministry. And you can see the Jordan River is just to the left of Perea. What Jesus would have done is he would have actually crossed the Jordan River as he was heading down to Jeru- over to Jerusalem. Uh, Passover is in the spring, so uh, the Jordan River would have actually been at his flood stage. So don't think of that as something that he would have just walked across with the water up to his ankles. He would have needed to have taken a boat across it at this point. Jeremy, give me the go ahead and give me the next one. This is a little zoom in here where you have the Jordan River. The first thing that Jesus would have run across in the way of a major city as he was heading into Jerusalem would have been Jericho. In fact, that is the last major city he would have run across before he hits Jerusalem. Now, to give you uh, an idea, the distance between Jerusalem and Jericho up there is approximately 17 miles. So it's not that far, which if you think about that, is a little less distance than Spirit Lake to Spencer. So it's really a, a short jaunt here, but it is a massive height difference. Jericho is 825 feet below sea level. Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level. It is a 3,200 foot climb in only 17 miles. The Jews would do this walk in about six hours, but it was a grueling walk that was pretty much straight uphill. Now, the Jericho to Jerusalem road was very well traveled. Jeremy, go ahead and give me the next slide here. This is an older photo, and I'm giving you the older photo because I think that's more authentic to biblical times as opposed to the more modern photo, which has more junk on it nowadays. It was a small road about this width, and it was a very windy road. Uh, through a lot of cracks and crevices so you could not see in front of you when you were traveling on that, which meant uh, that since there were so many pilgrims on this road going from Jericho to Jerusalem for Passover and other holidays, what do you travel with when you're going to a city for a holiday? It's not traveler's checks in the ancient world. It's actually money. And so this was an area that bandits and robbers were famous for attacking people because you couldn't see in front of you to protect yourself and there wasn't a lot of places to run. In fact, you see Jesus talking about this in the Bible. Remember the the story of the Good Samaritan? It took place on this road from Jericho to Jerusalem. 
Now, to help you understand what Jericho looked like, let me go ahead and give you an overview of that. That's a modern-day view of Jericho. It's right there in the center. As you can see, it is actually, right now, nothing more than rubble. And that's because they always want to excavate in it and find what kind of pieces of clay and pottery were there from the ancient world. So the best thing I can do to help you out with this is to give a little computer animation to show you what it would have looked like in that day. That is a little a computer imposition on top of that to show you what the city of Jericho would have uh, looked like. Um, by the way, you just should know a little bit more about the background of this city. It was a decent sized city. And the reason it was located there is because there were springs of water in that area. So with springs of water, it made it a virtual oasis and what was surrounding them was a desert. This is why when you look uh, Jericho up, it is known as the city of palms because of the palm trees that grew there that made it look like an oasis. At this time in history, they had also piped in additional water. So uh, they had plenty of water in this area. Not only did they have palm trees, they had fruit trees of every kind that grew here. They had one particular bush called the balsam bush that just so you know, it only grows in this city and the area surrounding this city because of the particular climate here is so warm yet so dry, yet you still have water that is with it at that time. Um, it is a consistently warm city. Josephus says it this way, that when there was snow in Jerusalem, you could still wear linen clothes when you were in Jericho. In other words, you could be in shorts and flip-flops in Jericho when you needed your winter jacket in Jerusalem because it was low and warm all the time. The city also was known for its almonds, its roses, its flowers, and King Herod had sort of a winter palace here. Uh, if you want to expand your field on the Bible a little bit, you may remember Jericho from the Old Testament times. Remember the first city that the people of Israel conquered when they went in the Promised Land was what? Jericho. This is it. Joshua in the Battle of Jericho, Joshua chapter 6, the city that was walked around a number of times and God struck down the walls. Now, of course, at this time in history, which is over a thousand years later, those walls have been rebuilt, but this is the same location. A couple other little uh, textual issues that may be helpful for you. Matthew and Mark, when they talk about this particular healing of uh, Bartimaeus, they talk about Jesus healing him while he was on his way out of the city. When Luke talks about this, Luke says that Jesus healed him when he was on his way into the city. What is going on here? Because at first it would seem like we have one of the Gospels contradicting the other one, uh, the other two rather. Let me see if I can give you my best understanding of this. I think what needs to be understood is Jesus healed blind Bartimaeus when he was in the vicinity of Jericho. We know from the story of Zacchaeus, which took place at this very same time, that Jesus was diverted for a while, went to Zacchaeus' house for an evening, and at least spent a night there. So what he was planning to pass through, he ended up staying in. 
most likely went in and out of the city at that time. Now, we know, as we're going to see, that there was a huge crowd that was following Jesus as he was going into this city. And you may wonder how big of a crowd was following Jesus. Let me give you some more background that would help you with this. First of all, we know that all the people that were already in Jericho wanted to see Jesus. His ministry has been going on for three years at this point. He's the famous guy. Passover is about ready to take off in Jerusalem. So you're filled with the pilgrims who are on their way to Jerusalem, passing through Jericho, who also want to see Jesus. How many people are there? How popular is Jesus? Let's go back to our story of Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus, the little tax collector who wanted to see Jesus, the Danny DeVito type? that he could not see Jesus because the crowds were so great. In fact, the only way he could see Jesus was to climb a sycamore fig tree. Remember what the city is known for? It's good water supply and it's fruit trees. He climbs a sycamore fig tree because that's the only way from the air looking down that he can see Jesus because the crowds are so big. This is what you call the ancient version of drone footage. That's what Zacchaeus is doing because the crowds are huge. Now, couple on to that a little bit of background from the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John tells us that Jesus had already made a trip to Bethany. Now, go ahead and put my map back up there, Jeremy. I actually highlighted Bethany on this map earlier to show you where Bethany is. Bethany is just outside of Jerusalem. You remember, may remember from your Bibles that there's some people live there, some famous people, like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And remember what Lazarus had done? He had become sick, and he had died. And Jesus had come, and even after he had been dead three days, he Wrote, he raised him from the dead. Where does this happen in the chronology of this? This happened just before this. Then Jesus had gone back, taken his disciples, and they were on their way into Jerusalem. So what we have is news of Jesus having raised Lazarus from the dead was spreading everywhere. The distance between Bethany and Jericho is probably around 12 miles and the next major city on that road. So we know that news of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead was everywhere. So you can get the picture of the size of the crowds, the people that are pressing into the crowds to see Jesus and to be with Jesus. In our story, it's going to focus on one of the really insignificant people in the crowd a person on the very outskirts of the crowd, the blind man named Bartimaeus. Incidentally, a little bit of extra biblical background here. Uh, Matthew tells us that in, in this moment there was actually two beggars that were healed, though Mark and Luke, they only focus on one particular beggar that is healed. And let me just take a little side explanation for that because sometimes I hear people will say, well, this is evidence that the Gospels are in error. Were there two people 
Or were there one people? I mean, can't they get it right? And I'll tell you how to explain this. It's very simple. There were two people, but it's okay for the other two gospel writers just to focus in on one, the stories of one of those two people. We saw this with the Gadarene demoniac in Mark. We learn in the other gospel, one of the other gospels, there were actually two demon-possessed men who came down from the tombs and that Jesus cast the demons out of both of them. But the story of Mark only focuses on one of those in particular. Do you know why it focused on the one in particular? Because he was the famous one. Because it says at the end of the story that he went and brought the gospel to the entire Decapolis, which is the entire eastern seaboard of the Sea of Galilee. He's the famous one that everybody knew about, which is why they focused in on his story. Not that he was the only demoniac that was cured on that day, but he was the one they wanted to focus in on. The same thing is happening here with, the, uh, with Bartimaeus. Was there another blind beggar who was healed at the same time? Yes, there was. But Mark is choosing to only focus on one of them, the famous one of them. Well, how do I know that? Why would I say that? If you notice in this gospel, it is very highly unusual for Mark to give us a proper name, to give us the specific name of a person. Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. The reason he does that is because apparently Bartimaeus was still known to his readers. Timaeus was still known to his readers. Apparently, and we'll see when we get to the end, Bartimaeus was one of the first members of the early church in Jerusalem that people still knew about and they still recognized his name, which is why Mark closes the first half of his gospel with Bartimaeus' healing and conversion story. That's why he focuses in on him. Now, let's go ahead and, and, oh, one other thing I'd like to mention that's really important as we get into the story. Blindness, by the way, was not just blindness. It was seen in that day as particular judgment for sin. That if you had sinned, that God may be punishing you by letting you become blind. Now, we know that's not necessarily true, but that was the belief in that day. So those who, were, who would become blind believed that it had something to do with the sin issue in their life. They were very aware of sin. And you can come back and see that in John chapter 9, verse 2, where it says this, And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So Bartimaeus has that great sense of sin. Well, how does Bartimaeus respond to Jesus when he hears that Jesus is coming through town? We see in verse 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now this word cry out, it's, I think it's out of a poor translation. 
It's not that there is actually a better word to translate it, but I think it uh, sort of underexpresses the actual Greek word behind it. Uh, cry out sounds rather mild. Maybe scream at the top of your lungs is a little bit more faithful to the text. The same Greek word is used in Mark chapter 5 to describe the, the screams of, a, of demon-possessed people. It's used in Revelation chapter 12 to describe the screams of a woman in the process of giving birth. So what we have here, as soon as Bartimaeus hears that it's Jesus of Nazareth who is passing through, even though the crowds are huge, and he knows he is on the outskirts of these massive crowds, and there's almost no chance that Jesus will hear him, no chance that Jesus will know him, he starts screaming at the absolute top of his lungs, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He will be heard. Interestingly, he also says this idea of son of David. What is this son of David going on here? I think it's interesting to notice here that uh, this is the first time we've seen in this gospel the phrase son of David. Bartimaeus is recognizing Jesus as the Messiah. That's what he is doing. The one who is the rightful ruler in line from the son of David. What I find is completely ironic is that um, while Bartimaeus has no physical eyesight, he has razor sharp spiritual eyesight, doesn't he? He knows that he is in a desperate situation. Most likely, he feels a great sense of his sin for why he is blind. He knows that Jesus is the son of David, is the Messiah, and he is desperate for mercy from him, which is why he calls out to him, begging and pleading for mercy at the top of his lungs. Now, let's look at the crowds. Do they have any sympathy towards him? In verse 48. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. This word rebuke, it's a very strong word in the Greek. It's not a mild word like you're in a library and you're a little too noisy and somebody shushes you. You're like, shh. This is a major rebuke. As I tried to think what this was like, and maybe if I've experienced this, I remember when I was actually a youth pastor years ago, and some friends invited me to one of our local golf courses, which actually was a sort of major golf course, and there was this guy playing called Tiger Woods, which I had no idea who the guy was. I'd never been to watch golf before or even see it on TV. So I'm here, we, we come up on the green, this guy named Tiger is getting ready to putt and I got a phone call. And so what do you do when you get a phone call? You take it. Not when people are on the green. And I learned in a hurry because every single person in that crowd looked at me as if they could kill me. 
That is the kind of rebuke that Bartimaeus is experiencing. Everybody is like, shh, be quiet. Bartimaeus, you are a nobody. Jesus is a somebody. He doesn't care about you. And Bartimaeus still wouldn't be quiet. He keeps screaming at the top of his lungs, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, let's find out what Jesus does. The second half of our message. Jesus is our merciful Savior. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. Now, if we've seen anything about Jesus' character in this gospel, we've seen that Jesus is someone whose heart is incredibly filled, filled with compassion. Compassion towards those who are in need, especially compassion towards those who are calling out to him for mercy. In this massive crowd, remember, picture it with Zacchaeus. There's literally busting the, the, the roads of Jericho wide open. That everybody is there. Everybody wants something from Jesus. In this crowd, Jesus hears the cry of a desperate, blind beggar who was on the edge of the road, on the very outskirts of the crowd, calling out to him for mercy. Jesus stops everything he stops the entire crowd and says bring Bartimaeus to me one other thing to notice by the way uh, is this crowd you notice how fickle they were one moment they were telling Bartimaeus to be quiet sort of shut up he doesn't care about you the next moment what we find is they're doing is saying hey get up run over he's calling for you and they're excited for Bartimaeus. It's a flip-flop crowd. We're going to see the same thing as we get further into this gospel with Jesus. Next week is the triumphal entry. What is the crowd going to be doing? Yay, Jesus! Crown him as king. What are they going to be doing by the end of the week? Kill Jesus! Get rid of him! It's a flip-flop crowd. We see it predicted right here in, with Bartimaeus. Now, how does Bartimaeus react? And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Mark doesn't want us to just know that Bartimaeus came to Jesus, but he wants us to notice how Bartimaeus came to Jesus. No dilly-dallying whatsoever. He sprang to his feet. He went to Jesus as fast as he could, literally leaving his cloak behind. Now, why would those details be included? Think about that cloak. Think about that crowd. And think about what Bartimaeus needed it for. And if he wasn't healed, would he ever be able to find it again? That's how he kept warm at night. When he begged, that's what he put in front of him. So people would throw money into it. That cloak was the important part of his life. But he left everything behind so quickly and so completely when he ran to Jesus. It was like he was confident he wouldn't need that cloak anymore. 
The story continues. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Remember, this is our connection with the previous story, which is also the other what do you want me to do for you story. And Bartimaeus doesn't say, I want to be rich, I want to be famous, I want to be powerful, I want to be in the top positions in your kingdom. He says, I just want mercy. I just want mercy. Matthew, in the parallel account, tells us that at that moment, Jesus reached out and touched Bartimaeus' eyes. Luke, in the parallel account, tells us that Jesus said to him, receive your sight. And with nothing more than a gentle touch and a softly spoken word, instantly, Bartimaeus was transformed and Bartimaeus could see. And then it says this, and Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Now, I want you to notice a couple things here. Notice what happens. Jesus says, your faith has made you well. But I want to put before you here in this conclusion that what we have happening here is much more than just a simple healing. What we have happening in the final story of this first section is Bartimaeus becomes a Christian before the cross. Think this through. Was there any doubt in Bartimaeus' mind that Jesus was the Messiah? Absolutely not. What was he calling him? Son of David, have mercy on me. Was there any doubt in Bartimaeus' mind that he was a sinner? He was blind. Was there any doubt that he was in a desperate situation and there's nothing he could do to help himself? Absolutely not. This is why he's screaming from the top of his lungs for Jesus. Was there any doubt in Bartimaeus' mind that the only one who could solve his problem, the only one who could give him the mercy he so desperately needed was Jesus? Was there any doubt in his mind about that? Absolutely not. You see, Bartimaeus realized he was a sinner. There was nothing he could do for himself. He desperately needed God to do something for him, and the only way to find that mercy was through Jesus. Bartimaeus, my friends, became a Christian before the cross. Not just healed, but he was healed on the inside, not just the outside. And let me give you some more evidence that's uh, around here that bolsters that point. Jesus says, go, your faith has made you well. In the Greek, there's a very interesting little word play going on here. The word well is the Greek word sozo, where we get the word saved from. Uh, another legitimate translation is, go, your faith has saved you. Same way to translate that. There's actually a specifically different Greek word for physical healing, but sozo covers physical healing, as, and it's much more comprehensive, plus your healing with your relationship with God. 
So he wasn't just healed physically, but he was healed in his relationship with God because he was desperate for mercy and looking to Jesus Christ alone to give it to him. So as we close the first half of this gospel, we have this great irony. A blind man who couldn't see physically, but he had the eyesight to see the one thing he desperately needed to see. That he was a sinner in desperate need of mercy and the only place to find it was Jesus. Now, another interesting twist in this story. It closes by, Jesus, by, by saying that Jesus, uh, he said, go on your way. And he says that he went on his way. The word way here is interesting too. It's uh, very impactful. It's the word journey. What it means is that from this moment forward, Bartimaeus joined Jesus and the disciples on their journey. So Bartimaeus was with them with his eyesight next week in the triumphal entry. Bartimaeus was with them when Jesus was crucified at the end of the week. Bartimaeus was with them when Jesus rose from the dead. Bartimaeus likely was one of the 120 in the upper room at the beginning of the church. Bartimaeus was there at the Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, and Bartimaeus was one of the original founding and original members of the early church in Jerusalem because he followed him on the way, which makes it interesting, which is why Mark mentions him specifically by name in the closing of this section because the people in the early church recognized his name. That's why he mentioned it. And this is how he received his sight, and this is how he became a Christian. Now, let me give you two applications, two things. Number one, those desperate for mercy from Jesus will find it from Jesus. Remember the two contrasting stories here? James and John, what do you want me to do for you? Oh, we want to be rich. We want to be famous. We want to be powerful. Jesus didn't give it to them. But Bartimaeus, and Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? I want mercy. And he found it. I want you to know that if you are here this morning, desperate for mercy from Jesus, that you will find mercy from Jesus. you're here saying, Jesus, make me rich, famous, and powerful. I can't guarantee he's going to do that. But I do know that in the midst of a crazy large crowd, he could hear the cries of a blind beggar desperate for mercy. He stopped everything to reach out and give him mercy. And no matter who you are, no matter how insignificant you may feel in this world, Jesus will stop everything and extend mercy to you when you call out desperately seeking it in his name. The other thing I'd like to point out for you is this. The weakness we despise in our life or the weaknesses we despise in our life are the very things God uses to draw us to himself in our life. 
In that crowd, the vast majority of people were healthy and they're well. They were interested in Jesus. But Bartimaeus was blind. Bartimaeus was broken. His blindness had brought him to the point of desperation, which is why he alone was calling out for mercy from Jesus and to find it. And I got thinking this week. You know, maybe the most blessed person in that crowd was Bartimaeus. Because God used his blindness to bring him to the end of himself so he would be desperately calling out for mercy from Jesus. And I got thinking, what about us? Do you have weaknesses in your life? Things that you really can't stand about yourself? Things that get you back on your knees again and again, desperately calling out to Jesus for mercy and help in your time of need? We think those are things that are not good for us. But maybe they're acts of mercy. Acts of mercy from God to help us see our sin, help us get to the end of ourselves, and to call out to God for mercy from Jesus Christ. And when we know when we do that, He will give it. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.